So the topic of our seminar is uh, With God in Community. Um, we're calling it Walking with God in Community. And um, Cynthia and I have been involved in communities with this church for a long time. We, uh, I started coming here in 1989. We got married in 91, and we have been in groups. We have led groups. Uh, we've had evangelistic Bible studies at our house for our kids. Uh, we currently lead two newlywed groups. Um, uh, we we have uh, been on mission trips and created a community on mission trips. We created community overseas at our partnerships. And uh, and I, I was thinking the other day, if I look back over my life, what what I do, what do I do? Like what the, my ministry? What what is I'm I'm being known for? And and John's thinking it's my uh, Christmas vacation party at my house. <laughs> but uh, but I but I really do like to create environments for community. And if I look back over my ministry, it's always has to do with lots of people in groups, connecting with each other, doing something. Um, I like evangelism, like discipleship, but it seems like community seems to be something I do. So we're going to tell some stories, and then I'm going to give us a little bit of a biblical basis for community. And then um, we have uh, some uh, what we call barriers to community, some things we've learned over the years that you might not have thought about that what what hinders community that and we're going to spend most of the time talking about the barriers so we've got some quotes we're going to read and then uh cynthia's going to tell a story here about our friend okay as i share with you this narrative play, pay close attention to the community of believers who have had a part in this story um i remember so clearly that summer day some 15 or so years ago after <clears throat> Sorry. After VBS had ended, I loaded my Volvo station wagon with my three boys and Sherry Simmons, I don't know if you all, the, who spoke last night, she asked me if I could drop off three children at their home, which was not far from our church. I pulled into their driveway and a woman with an Eastern European accent quickly opened the front door and thanked me. We chatted for a few minutes and she asked me, well told me, you will come back and drink coffee with me. Well, I took her up on the coffee and we became friends. The woman and her husband, she a college-educated preschool teacher and he a master tailor, had immigrated to the U.S. in 1995 near the end of the Bosnian-Serb War. And even as an American citizen, life in the U.S. was difficult. And I wanted to help her spiritually and physically, but I couldn't do it all. And God never intended one person to meet another's <coughs> needs. He meant for the body of Christ, the community of believers, to take care of each other. Um, her children began attending activities at church, and it had come up not long afterwards that she couldn't drive. She, did, she didn't have her driver's license, and I thought, you have to be able to drive if you live in Lexington, Kentucky. So she obtained her permit, and I began taking her out on Wednesdays while her children attended Read to Succeed with Dee Schweichel. After she passed her driver's test, Jay Seekman, another member of church, donated his van for her to drive her to be able to drive to work. Then Robin Schlockoff shared the gospel with her and met with her weekly for one-on-one -on -one Bible study. The women's ministry gave her teaching and fellowship during Wednesday mornings at Bible study. And so the TCPC community has surrounded her also, though, in hard times. 
Cheryl Lynn Rockaway took her to doctor's appointments and has driven her to Bible study after her surgeries when she was unable to drive. And then Nate and Clark were with her in the moments before and after her beloved husband passed away. But now she's ministering to others in the church. As a believer and part of the TCPC community, she's making meals for other people. She's also very observant and tells us often about people that for the Mercy Committee to be able to help. And so, this is my friend right here. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you want to say anything? You just happen no. to be in this seminar. You don't have to. <laughs> okay. So, I'll, we'll go on. And <laughs> We love Ada, and uh, we spend lots of time with her. My boys adore her. She's hem pants for our boys. She's... Made, made food for us, baklava, you know what that is? She, she's, she's so good. But um, anyway, it's just a great story about how the Christian community actually reached out to someone else. And, and actually, that's the title of the talk next door. But we want to start just with a story about how, over the years, our community uh, has been uh, effective and God has used it. And it's really uh, sharpened. You know, the members of our church. There's so many angles we could take um, talking about walking with God and community. And um, so I'm going to take two. One is the purpose of community, and the, others, the other is the barriers of good community. And we'll talk mostly about the barriers. And I know a lot of you in this room, you're big fans of community, and you've been involved in communities. Um, but I do want to start with some of the, the basics there. And Robert started talking about Thursday night, and he talked about that the ultimate purpose of community or the spiritual disciplines is to be with Jesus, you know, to, to know and love Jesus Christ better. So whether it's prayer, word, fellowship, witnessing, the ultimate goal is to be with Jesus through these things and know him better. So we have uh, two newlywed groups, and it's um, um, one's on Tuesday, one's on Thursday, they meet every other week, and uh, they come together, they, they eat a meal together because they come straight from work. Uh, we share life together. Uh, I'll have them share their testimonies about how they met, get married, spend a lot of time just getting to know each other uh, throughout the year. And then we'll open the scriptures to talk about how to be married, a better husband, better wife. But ultimately, uh, we want them after two years to know how to be with Jesus in marriage, and we want them to, to know and love Jesus more. That's the ultimate purpose. And of course, if you know and experience Jesus, you'll be a better husband and a better wife as well. Um, so that's ultimately. Another purpose is to show the world what Christ is like, and that's uh, Cynthia's story goes along with that about Ada. Uh, Bonhoeffer has a great book. I don't know if y'all have ever uh, seen this book called Life Together. Very old. And I've just now read it for the first time. And uh, I read it because I heard it, you know, it, yeah, I heard about it. And it is true, it's really good. But he starts off the book with Psalm 133.1. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And he states up front that it's a privilege for Christians to, to be in community. It's, it's, it's a privilege. Um, uh, it's not something we do, but it, it's actually a privilege to be involved with others in community. And basically he talks about uh, God's plan to redeem the nations and how that Christians really live scattered lives. Like God has literally scattered Christians all around the world and he's put them together in these little pockets of 
churches or congregations or communities. And they are supposed to show the world what he's like by the way they treat each other. And so all around the world, the community is, is you know, it's, it's bigger than just us getting our knees met, which is not my next point. But it's much bigger than that. It, it, it's, it's to show God what the world is like. So as pockets of believers are set all around the world in the midst of non-believers, and how they treat each other and love each other will show the world what, what God is like. Um, you know, one of the famous verses is John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love another, one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And uh, every time we send a mission team out, whether it's Mexico, Belarus, Scotland, whatever, uh, we always have a briefing, and we spend a lot of time on this point of team unity. Uh, and, and, and we basically will talk about how your corporate witness, how you treat each other on the team, will be much more effective than your personal one-on-one -on -one witness because it authenticates the gospel, how you treat each other in community. And uh, we, we spend a lot of time on that because we know on a mission team when you're spending an intense time together, you're going to fight, you're going to do things, but, but it's, it's what happens next and making up, repenting, all that stuff. So um, to show the world what God is like is another reason. And then the reason that why uh, we love community so much, the third purpose for community is to love and encourage one another. And, uh, you know, God is a relational being. He has perfect unity and, and relationship in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're made in His image, therefore we are made to be relational beings. And we're made to live in a community with other believers. And there's no such thing as a, uh, a private Christian. We are supposed to live in community. Uh, God made us to be dependent on Him. He also made us to be dependent on others. And so, um, you know, we're to do that. Now, Cynthia, read this quote. Paul Tripp has great uh, stuff on community as well. I want you to just read this. He says it a lot better than I do. There are things that we know as believers that should cause concern as we examine the trends of our culture. First, we know that people are created for community. We are made in the likeness of a God who not only is committed to community <coughs> and calls us to community, but is himself a community. He did not structure us to live in isolation and autonomy. He created us to live in two essential communities, a loving, worshipful, and dependent community with him, and a loving, serving, interdependent community with one another. We will never be what we are supposed to be or do what we were created to do while living in isolation from worshipful friendship with God and mutually serving friendship with others. We are people who carry a deep gratitude because by God's grace, we have not been left to ourselves, but we have been welcomed into God's family of love and grace. And there's so many scriptures you could go to uh, that tell us that we need to be in community and we need to love and serve others. And one of the more famous ones for fellowship is Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. You gonna read that? Yeah. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yeah, so it's, it's commanded to be together um, in community. Um, 
And then, you know, a host of other scriptures tell us that when we're in community, we're to put the needs of others first, sacrifice, serve, hold each other accountable, bear with one another's burdens. We're to listen, we're to care for, and we're to forgive, uh, we're to teach each other, and the list goes on and on and on. So <clears throat> the interesting thing about this is that um, it's very difficult to apply scripture to your life if you're not in community, because most of the scriptures are about how you are to treat other people. So if you're alone or by yourself, you separate yourself from community, you can't even apply the scriptures to your life because there's no one to love, sacrifice, and serve. Which uh, brings us to barriers in community. And the very first point is, is a little bit about that, about treating others and kind of our expectations of community. So Cynthia's gonna take so, the next couple. The first one is expectations. Barriers, right? So barriers. barriers to a good community is our expectations. When we demand to find friends, we expect to find our best friends, which is a good thing to find friends, but nowhere in scripture are we promised friendship. We are commanded to serve and sacrifice. Friendship is a byproduct. And there's something beautiful about becoming friends out of service and sacrifice to each other. Getting our needs met is not the main focus of fellowship, but a byproduct. But we often put unrealistic expectations on people within the body of Christ to meet our needs. We need to become a community of servants and not users of people. And when we were on, we went over to, we lived in Belarus for a year, and um, the middle of the year, around at Christmas, we went, they took us away for the, um, during Christmas break, and instead of coming back to going back to America, they had us go to a place, and we were at this conference with everybody, which was it was just about the right time of because you've been with people on your team, but fourteen for people months, on your team for a few months, and I remember her saying that, um, you know, that you cannot because we it really hit home because we some of us had I mean I think you go into it thinking I'm going to find best friends on this team who's my best who am I going to hang out with and you're looking for people to meet your needs and her point was the lady that gave the talk said you know you need to not make that a demand like if that's your demand that you meet make best friend your best your need your uh, prayer should be that you're serving and sacrificing and then let God bring friends to you. Like, if you get a friend from this, that's wonderful. But serve God and not demand that, because if you're spending your focus looking for, because we, you know, that's what people do sometimes on us, and then they, they're depressed that, I don't have any friends. You know, I don't have my best friends on this team. But if your goal is to serve, you're gonna make friends as a byproduct of serving. You will meet people, you know, and you, you lower your expectations to, that you're serving and then you're gonna yeah, make friends as a byproduct. Yeah. Um, Do you have anything to say to that? Because I know you were. Well, I was the leader of that team of 14 mm -hmm. and Les Olson was on that team. And uh, we were fighting. Like the, the singles weren't getting along. You know, we, we had three kids, three babies, and the other couple had three babies. And we we're like, and we, we had this picture in our mind that every night we're gonna get together and, watch movies and be best friends be best friends and we just weren't there were some people on the team that that didn't get along with the others and we so we came into this thing I'm like Cynthia this we're not gonna make it you know this, <laughs> what are we gonna do and this lady gave this wonderful talk so we 
So we, so I took it and I stole it, and uh, started talking to our team about you know our purpose is not to be best friends. Our purpose is to love and serve each other. And if a best friend, God blesses with a best friend, that's great. But, but what we found is the joy was in the sacrifice and in serving, not in trying to make everybody our best friend. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I do that in community at church. I, I want to know who's in the group before I get in it. You know, like, you know, yeah, who are my friends? I'm going to go there. But if everybody had the attitude, we're going to sacrifice and serve for each other, it wouldn't matter who's in the group uh, because the joy is in the sacrifice and serving. And uh, which comes to the next point. So another barrier is exclusion. And we often exclude people before we get to know them at a deeper level. And I mean, this is what the world does. Um, but we're to be different from the world. The Bible's very clear about believers not showing partiality. And at school, I'll put kids in small groups. You know, I, I put their groups together, and, and they're just like, I don't want to be a school teacher. You know, and you can just see it on the, the more mature they are, though, they, they, they'll just roll their eyes, or, you know, they won't. Some of them, I'm not being in a group with her, <laughs> you know, but the more that, you know, if they're a little more socially adept, they're like, or they'll just not talk. They, you know, and that's what you expect in the world, but in the church, it's not acceptable. Do we believe in the sovereignty of God, or, you know, do we believe that God's in control of everything? Then we move toward each other amidst our differences, trusting that He's ordained for us to sit next to the person we're sitting next to. He's placed us in a small group together. He's allowed our paths to cross for this moment in time. So what about believers who annoy us? Or worse, they offend us? Um, and what do we do? So I think we do, two, we do one of two things. We either overlook, we just decide that you know, what they're doing is I'm going to overlook and bear with someone or we're going to confront and love. If someone's sinning, then we confront and love and continue to move toward them. If someone is not sinning, we either talk to them and continue to move toward them or just overlook the fault and continue to move toward them. You know, the key is we keep moving toward people, you know. Yeah, some of the best lessons I've learned is by being in a community where I didn't have anything in common with the people. And, uh, and sometimes uh, you do that, okay, God, I'm going to do it. And you get in there and sacrifice and serve, and you find out you actually do have you know, community. You actually do like this person, and, and you can learn from that person. Um, but sometimes I think we're too quick to want to know who's in the group. I'm, not, I'm nothing like them, so, you know. Uh, that person annoys me. But then when you get in a small group with someone and and you learn their story, you understand their background, and you realize that, you know, I, that doesn't really bother me anymore. Or I understand why maybe they do that. And it's just God just gives us kind of a forbearance. I mean, it just gives us patience and ability to bear with and love, and then you just grow to love the person. and you, then you find you don't even realize the thing that maybe got on your nerves initially, you don't even, that doesn't bother you anymore. We, uh, we used to be on staff with crew and um, that's how we started going to Belarus and we had this kid in our ministry who wanted to go with us and uh, you have to do references for students to go. Uh, uh, you don't really have to do that on my teams here, but back then you did. 
And, uh, and so uh, he filled out his reference, and, 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 and whoever did it just put red marks all over it. Not submissive to authority, uh, you know, uh, loner, isolates himself, all this stuff. And so we, we said, you know, probably not a good idea for you to go this year. So once you go to one of our stateside projects, so we went to the beach somewhere, came back next year, I want to go to Belarus. And we're like, we're really going to take this kid. But then I told him if he did everything, he, he, everything I asked him to do, he did. So I said, all right, we're going to take him. And sure enough, we get to Belarus. The team's here. He's back here walking by himself, isolating himself, being a loner. And all the things, think, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. Well, it came for his turn to share his story in front of the whole group. And we're like, what is this kid going to say? You know, and uh, it's very, very interesting. But he just poured out his heart. He basically said that when he was, uh, when he got his braces on, in order to get his parents' attention, he decided to take all his braces off and see if his parents noticed. He said, three weeks went by and they never noticed. And he said, that's how I grew up. My parents isolated me my whole life and I don't have any friends. Everybody's crying in the room. And from that point on, we're like this, because we took the time to hear a story. And once you hear someone's story, you kind of understand why they have these issues, you know. And so um, I learned a lot uh, from that kid, even though uh, <laughs> first I thought it was going to be trouble. Um, going back to Bonhoeffer, one another barrier is lack of prayer for the group. And I have never heard this or learned this until I read this book. But this is what Bonhoeffer had to say about community, a buried community lack of prayer. So Bonhoeffer says that a community of believers that does not pray for each other will fall apart. He says that if you're in a community long enough, you're going to start to get on each other's nerves and you're going to start to see the, it's like marriage, no offense, but you see, you see the, the good and the bad come out. And he said that if you're not praying for each other, the community is going to fall apart because you're going to you're going to get sick and tired of each other. And he says that when you pray for someone, you start to forget about their faults. You start to see them as God sees them. And he said, so a community that's not praying for each other, it's going to fall apart. Um, he says it a lot better. So I'm going to let Cynthia read this for you. Um, what page did I say? This brings us to a point at which we hear the pulsing heart of all Christian life in unison. A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray. No matter how much trouble he causes me, his face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession. Into the, into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. This is a happy discovery for the Christian who begins to pray for others. There is no dislike, no personal tension, no estrangement that cannot be overcome by intercession as far as our side of, of it is concerned. Intercessory prayer is the purifying bath into which the individual and the fellowship must enter every day. The struggle we undergo with our brother in intercession may be a hard one, but that struggle has the promise that it will gain its goal. Never heard of that. I thought that was so cool. All right, so barriers, expectations, exclusion, uh, lack of prayer, and a, uh, another one is insecurities. Um, you know, 
although God made us to know and be known by others, there's this fear of being vulnerable. You know, if I get in this group, uh, they really hear what I'm like. They may not like me. They might reject me. So um, a lot of people will just not get in the group uh, because they don't want to be vulnerable or they're afraid of that. But our insecurities, um, a lot of times people have been burned by the church or by communities. Uh, you got in a community group and they told you to be vulnerable. You shared something that you struggle with. And next thing you know, they go share it with someone outside the group. It gets back to you. And you're like, I'm never, ever telling anybody my story again because I, I got burned by the group. And so there's this, there's a reason or bad church experience uh, where you were embarrassed. Uh, you ask your questions, you got embarrassed by the, the group leader. Uh, there was a time in, in uh, years and years ago we first got here, um, um, we were a little top-heavy on theology. And uh, I had one of my students in, in a group, and instead of asking uh, one of the older people, asked this young lady, um, instead of asking her what was her story, how she came to know love Jesus Christ, she said, so, in front of everybody, so when did you embrace Reformed theology? And she goes, uh, uh, I, don't, I know what you're talking about. She never came back. And she told me about it later. And, uh, but sometimes the church keeps you from community because you've been burned by the church or you've been embarrassed. You were asked to be vulnerable, you were, and you got shut out. And so it's very important that we keep our, our secrecy, and not secrecy, but just confidentiality in the group. Because if you don't be able to be vulnerable, then you gotta be willing to keep that there, unless they give you permission outside. Um, cultural tendencies keep us from community. We live in a, a culture of isolation, technology, and all that, that's a whole, Another talk we could do later. Uh, we are a culture of self self sufficiency. We've been taught by our culture, by our parents, even sometimes by our church, uh, with legalism. It's up to you, and you can do it by yourself. You don't need anybody else, and that's why it's hard to take correction sometimes because we've been taught that we can do it. We don't need anybody else. Our culture teaches that. Some of our families teach us that, and so. Um, we kind of embrace the belief that we don't need wisdom from outside of ourselves. And that's, you know, and so that. Um, a couple more is uh, that I've seen personally here at this church recently is uh, not taking initiative. Um, I am the director of community and outreach and every now and then I'll meet somebody and they'll say, I've been coming to your church for six months and no one's talked to me. And I've been coming to your church six months and I've never been asked to be in a small group. And I understand that. And, 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 and we usually what I say is, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm sorry you fell through the cracks. Um, but on the other hand, I want to say, don't wait on us. I mean, take initiative. Uh, talk to someone. Kind of take the attitude of uh, we talked about first. I'm going to sacrifice and serve. I'm going to meet someone. I'm going to encourage someone. You can talk to someone in the parking lot, in the narthex, and there's a, there's a good chance that someone's like you that hasn't been talked to that's standing next to you. Um, so it is our fault people fall through the cracks. And, and our, my, my job and Mark's job is to get everyone in community, you know. But sometimes we fail, and so um, the best thing you can do when you go into, especially a new church, is take initiative and don't wait on them to come to you, but because we want everybody to be involved in the community. 
it's just sometimes we, we fail and you know so uh, think about that not taking issue the last one is impatience it takes time for community um, it just takes time and if we will commit make community a priority uh, it will happen I told you about my newlywed groups uh, this it's been the best case study of this really. yeah you... that first year uh, it's like they come in they kind of size everybody up should I say this should I not say this who's 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 with me who's not with me as soon and, as it's over everybody leaves and they don't talk to each other maybe they'll say hello at church that second year it's like they're they're doing things outside of our group yeah, and they're really vulnerable in the group. And I'm thinking, it's time to go. And they're still talking. i got to go to bed. They're wanting to eat. And it's, it's interesting. But time will, will cure a lot of things. And so the more time you're in community, probably the more vulnerable you're going to be, the more close you're going to be. And so, uh, so in patience, sometimes people go to a community group for even a whole semester. Yeah, I'm just not getting anything out of it. I'm not connecting people. And I would just say, let's, let's get this time. So we're going to close this barrier time out with another trip quote. First, we need to understand that true community requires humility. I need to humbly confess my need for others as I consider their interests more important than my own. True community also requires intentionality. There are decisions that you will have to make, there are habits you will have to break, and there are choices you will have to make to live in productive Christian community. Along with these, True community requires sacrifice. I will never enjoy the productive community that the body of Christ was designed to be without making specific and concrete sacrifices of time, energy, schedule, leisure, privacy, etc. And true community with others requires patience. I never get to be in community with perfect people. So community is messy and unpredictable. Yet God uses this messiness to promote His grace in our lives. What does all this mean? It means that community requires Christ. It's only as His grace enables me that I can exit my claustrophobic kingdom of one, become excited about the expansive work of His kingdom, and live in the kind of productive relationships with others that I was created for, while I encourage others to do the same. I've become committed to praying these three prayers, and I encourage you to do the same. Lord, I'm a man in desperate need of help. Lord, I pray that you would send your helpers my way. And please give me the humility to receive the help when it comes. Okay. Thank you. So now we're going to close out some very practical things um, that, you know, I feel like I'm speaking to the choir. Half of you are in neighborhood groups downtown, and I bet you the rest of you are in parish groups. But, um, you know, one thing I want to say about practical things, especially at TCPC, is go for hope as well. But, um, the parish group system it's not the women's bible study or the newlywed groups but the parish group system is our primary way of care so if you're not in a parish group it's going to be really hard for the elders or staff pastors whatever to take care of you when there is a need um, so that's our primary way tim keller used to say if you're not in a small group at redeemer then we, we can't help you so it, it, that is kind of our primary way and hope's primary way of, of connecting is their their neighborhood groups um but karen you raise your hand karen over there so 
Karen, how long have you been coming here? Okay, all right. Fairly new. So her husband is Bob, and uh, I'm going to tell, I'm going to attempt to tell uh, their story about their parish group and other people in the community here. And then what I miss, uh, I'm, you can feel free to correct me here. But I asked Bob, her husband, uh, he recently went through a major surgery, and I asked him to, to write out how uh, the parish group and community at church have taken care of them. And I think this is very interesting, fascinating. So, um, Bob and Karen Taylor, and in the process of becoming members, almost, right? That's another story. That's my fault. It fell through the cracks. <laughs> and, uh, but we're about to get them in. All right. Um, but, um, so, um, they're in Eddie Tannis and Trevor Tannis' parish group. Is that right? Nicholasville area. And last October, uh, Bob suffered a major heart attack on a Saturday with very little symptoms. It's kind of a crazy story, but he didn't know he was having it, but came in, it turned out to be a major heart attack, rushed him to ICU and all that kind of stuff, scheduled surgery for three days later. And so um, uh, Karen sent an email to Eddie and Trevor Tannis and basically <coughs> telling him about um, this is what's going on, about a heart attack, he's about to have major, major sur surgery, and she asked for prayer, take an initiative. We gotta have that, take an initiative there. So uh, that's when the parish group and others from TCPC community began to rally around Bob and his family. So before surgery, uh, Bob's parish elders and other elders like Charlie Kennedy, who, who was a friend and coworker, um, uh, they began to routinely visit him, read scripture to him, pray for him. Uh, I got to see him on, I think, I was, there on a, was that Sunday or Monday? I, I got to see him as well. Uh, then after the surgery, which was a successful surgery, uh, some parish group members uh, went and bought groceries for them. Uh, and then the parish group started to rally with meals uh, for them. And, uh, and, and, and that Bob's not here because he's healthy and back to work, which is a beautiful thing. And this is what Bob said. He said, our parish group tended to our needs with overwhelming love. That's, that, I'm quoting Bob from that. And so... Um, that's a little story about that. You, you got anything to add to that about the parish group? They, they were just amazing. It was a terrifying time, but we were not terrified because of the prayers of yeah. everybody. So. And sometimes people just sit and listen or read scripture, pray, and then the practical things, the food uh, and the groceries and the meals, this, this parish group just, just, uh, just kind of took over. And that's, that's, a, that's what it should do. That's, that's the beauty of it. And I learned, okay, I used to feel, or I still feel, you know, uncomfortable coming and being with somebody when they're in the middle of a crisis or in the hospital or whatever. That is the most comforting thing is to just be there. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know that until we went through this. Because one of the women in our group that I didn't know very well, she just came and sat with me during Bob's surgery. Yeah. I mean, she just, you know, just sat with me. And that was so comforting. So... Don't be hesitant to just go, like visiting somebody in the hospital, just go. You don't have to know what to do, just say hi, give them a hug. Yeah. Anyway. It's taking initiative. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the story as well. Another thing is practice hospitality. And uh, so I asked another one of our hospitable uh, community members, uh, Ann Briggs, and I said, Ann, tell, us, tell me about your Sunday afternoon meals. And so I'm gonna let Cynthia read her what she said. That's something else you can do. Just invite people over. 
Paul and I began the tradition of Sunday lunches when kids, the kids peeled off one at a time to college. The ones that went away to school were encouraged to bring their friends home for a weekend so we could meet them and love on them. They did. The kids who went to school in town were encouraged to bring them home for Sunday lunch. And they did and still do. Sometimes we have many people over, sometimes just one person. There are a few regulars that we've adopted that Paul and I have committed ourselves to who are welcome every Sunday I cook. Sometimes I take a break as well as any time, really. We believe, we both believe having people over to our house is worth every ounce of effort it takes. It's been worth every penny, every vacuum, and every scrub. We've seen it provide comfort to the hurting, deepen fellowship, broaden our, world, our view of the world, and give affirmation and significance to others. As we sit around the table and share a meal, it calms the soul, demanding attention toward each other rather than attention to outside or in our head distractions. We've also, been, we've also seen how having people over requires vulnerability, which is a necessary ingredient, ingredient to deeper relationships. A whole lot is on display when you invite others into your home. Your mess, your financial status, your decorating acumen or lack of, your cooking style, your taste, your family interactions, everything. But any thoughts of not having a house big enough or pretty enough have to go out the window. I've struggled with that lie for many years, but I pressed on, kept having people over. I think Paul would love to have people over every night of the week. And in my case, I've come to believe that having people over into your modest and sometimes messy home can actually be an encouragement to others that they can do the same. What have I seen God do in these lunches? Again, the lunches have broadened our horizon and made us wiser people. It's given Paul and me permission to both to be spoken to and to speak into a, a person's life. It's given us time to help others wrestle through really difficult situations. We've been able to practically help from car problems to budgeting to hemming pants descending home leftovers. Most of all, we've been able to see the hand of God weaving in and out throughout this huge world, making it smaller, helping us feel connected and significant. We leave each other strengthened to do His will. We, receive his, we, re, we received His love, His truth, His encouragement, and His blessing through one another. I've heard about this. My son has been a benefit of those lunches. You've been to some lunches too. Yeah. So anyway, that's the hospitality. We can all be hospital. That's hospitable. That's one way we can uh, get involved. Invite our neighbor. Invite someone new at church. Uh, you know, you order takeout. You know, you don't you don't even have to cook. Uh, it's a great opportunity. I want to close. We got to hurry here. But um, uh, if you haven't seen this, you're free to take this. But this is all the opportunities. One other thing I want to say about community is uh, go on one of our mission trips. It is the best community. Um, I don't go on all of them, but, but, but it's, I call it Narthex community. So once you go on this mission trip, you get close by serving and sharing your faith with the others. You come back in the Narthex and all of a sudden say, hey, you have this new friend in the Narthex and you embrace warmly because you've been on this great trip, great experience. So that's another way for community as well. Um, anybody got any comments? I guess we got.